0: Welcome to the Determined Truth podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey, welcome in everyone to the Determined Truth podcast. I am here with my friend Rob and it is not over 100
1: degrees in Mesa, Arizona, I'm assuming. No, I'm outside. 79, 80 something degrees. Beautiful day.
0: Anyway, we're going to jump into a new uh, series, mini series is going to be a a few episodes. We have a great interview uh, planned for a few weeks from now. We're going to have our friend David Crump back on. And so we're going to be talking about uh, the topic of Christian nationalism, something that has been receiving more attention, I think, in the last uh, few years. Yeah, I think it's exciting. something that you and I have both been studying a lot over the last year or so. And so it's great to have these sorts of conversations as a whole community of people is trying to form words for this conversation. And we're just one of those voices in there. But uh, yeah, I think, I think we're part of that. What are,
1: what are some of your thoughts as we get yeah, jumping I, on this? I think this is one of the most important conversations we can have. I think the conversation with Michael Gorman on cruciformity and living a cruciform life for us as individual Christians and even corporately as a church is perhaps as significant a conversation as we can possibly have. But this is right up there because Christian nationalism comes a perversion of the kingdom and of kingdom theology and of the kingdom of God. So I think it's important for that, as well as the fact that this is becoming center in American politics and American culture. And so Christians don't know what to do with it because it has this blur of the distinction between those two lines there. So, yeah, so we're going to have a couple of conversations between you with you and me. And then we'll have David Crump come on for a couple of conversations with him. And he wrote a wonderful book uh, on Christian nationalism called I Pledge Allegiance. And, it, and it's just an excellent book. And then we're going to have some pastors on, and we're going to interview them and say, hey, how does this affect you guys in the local church? And so that'll be a great conversation. This is going to take us through the month of November. So before we start, though, Vinny, uh, the people might not realize, but you and I, we kind of talk beforehand and kind of go over whatever we're going to discuss. And then we open in prayer, and you prayed tonight. And your prayer was, was phenomenal. And, and I want you to, if you'll just reiterate a couple of the points that you said in your prayer about the freedoms that we have. Versus the freedoms or the lack of freedoms of people, Christians in other countries, and just kind of reiterate what that the general tenor of what you said there.
0: Yeah, I think mean, this topic is something that for me I've been it, I've been talking a lot about for the last few months over the over the summer, literally from June through August. I taught a class on uh, you know political theology, if you will, and so I've been thinking about this a lot. And so one of the things that it, it's difficult when you talk about something like this because you're critiquing your nation, mm, and so yeah. right off the bat you're going to be getting flack like you're just this bad guy or something like that, or you're not grateful for where you live. And, and the thing that I'm constantly reminded of anytime I'm talking about this or anything is like, think, praise God that he allowed me to be born in America, that I was born in Palo Alto, California and, and have lived in America, you know, my whole life. Cause we have freedom so, like you and I are making this podcast right now in which we're critiquing the church and the nation. And we have no fear. That police are going to jump through our front doors and and stop this. Uh, we have we have no fear that when this podcast launches, that we're going to get retribution in some kind of way politically or from a religious standpoint. Like that's just not going to happen. We have right. the freedom to have these dialogues, and, and I'm I'm thankful for that. Not just because it's a uh, a safety thing, not just because it's a comfort, but. But this is a sense of what the kingdom of God is, where you're allowed, like, you know, it, it's foretasting what the kingdom of God is, where you're not fearing the real, the secular authorities, uh, you know, and coming down on the people of God for being prophetic in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And obviously in, in the new Jerusalem, there's going to be no need for the prophet because there's going to be no need to call the people of God to repentance. But, you know, that's something that I think the church, especially for the evangelicals and Christians who have been uh, disenfranchised and frustrated in the last season of life. This is something that we do need to remember that that we do have this ability to have freedom right now and talk about these things and not fear, you know, and and just like I I say this a lot when I'm teaching a class on a Sunday morning, I have zero fear that the police are going to break through the, the doors on a Sunday school class and stop things or and drag me out for leading a class. Now, who cannot say this are our brothers and sisters around the world who literally come up against this. And, and I think of certain churches in China and around the world where there's literally dads and husbands being taken away and locked up right now just because they're preaching the gospel of Jesus and they have this fear you know, it's a fearful thing. I mean, yeah, you're. there might be joy that you're being persecuted in the same way Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something to be said that, yeah, okay, I'm doing something right, but I'd be scared out of my mind. There, there's a legitimate fear to have there. And so, you know, just the constant prayers that we need to have for those brothers and sisters, every time we do have this freedom to speak, that needs to be a reminder to us to pray for our brothers and sisters who don't, for the for the, for the people who are locked up right now, that God will give them the grace and perseverance to sustain that time of, um, of being locked up for the, the, the wives, the mothers, the, the sons and daughters who are weeping at home right now and scared because dad's not there, that, that God would give them the grace to sustain this time and, and a grace that they don't understand because they know they're supposed to be having anxiety attacks. They know they're supposed to be freaking out right now and it's not there. Uh, and, so, and so that's something that we need to pray on a daily basis because that's a legitimate issue around the world for our brothers and sisters.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah. let's begin kind of with defining some terms a little bit. So let's start with how did you define nationalism? And
0: yeah, so for me, and this is something that I think we'll talk about tonight. When we talk about nationalism and Christian nationalism, you're not talking about a thing, right? It's it's kind of a spectrum. So it's not right. like here's these. Uh, it's not here. Here's these five points that that you need to fit this criteria. It's these sorts of things. So I would first say nationalism is more of a secular view of your nation, where there's this exceptionalism of your nation, your nation could do no wrong. Um, It's, you know, it's the best thing ever. There's nothing dysfunctional about it. (laughs) You know, there's no self-critique. That's nationalism. And we could say our secular friends who we know, they they could be nationalistic, right? This is different than Christian nationalism. And, And so in a sense, I would say, if idolatry is making a good thing, an ultimate thing, when Christians engage in the the fusing of Christianity with a nationalistic view, when when they idolatry idolatry uh, uh, commit idolatry to uh, in terms of how they have come to know to view their country and the fusing of their religion, this is when it becomes Christian nationalism. When we have uh, when we start associating a religion with a nation, when you when you start thinking that the Bible and Christian beliefs uh, need to push the national agenda. And, and I'm someone who I believe, like I believe in moral absolutes, I'm not a relativist. I believe that the law of God is, is the way that people need to live. But when we start wanting to pushing that on secular people I- in terms of a moralism, like that this is the way you have to live. Even if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, just live by a set of moral conducts, right? So even phrases like Judeo-Christian ethics what that doesn't mean is follow Jesus as Lord. It just means live in a certain way that makes me comfortable because it's, it's the way I like to live. Right. So that's
1: one of the dangers, isn't it? Of Christian nationalism, right? When it starts to impose religion on a secular society. Yeah. And and it's, it's,
0: it's, it becomes moralism or
1: behaviorism at this point. Right. I kind of laugh when I see Christians go, Oh, you know, they, they took the 10 commandments out of the schools. They took, you know, prayer out of the schools. And my, my, my answer is It's a secular state. What what do you expect them to do?
0: Well, even I I worked in a public high school for many years. And I'm thinking when when, when people complain, they took prayers out of schools. It's like, I know many of these teachers. Do you want them leading your kid in prayer? It's not a Christian
1: prayer. Yeah. I actually had a school board leader from a, a city a number of years ago. He was so excited. He says, Rob, we have a majority of people on our school board now that are Christians. And so we can do anything we want in the schools. And I think I'm going to add this class on to the high school curriculum on Christianity and religion and da, da, da. (laughs) And and I said, I said, well, guess what? I said, that sounds really good. I said, but who's going to teach it? And how are you going to guarantee that after this school board gets done and there's another school board that replaces it and it's no longer a Christian run school board that other people are doing it. And then they're leading that class. And what are they saying about it? Words, mm-hmm. If you were in a Muslim country and you went up and, and said, Hey, I've studied Islam before. Let me teach about Islam. You're not going to teach everything about Islam, nor are you going to teach it accurately because mm-hmm. you're not Muslim. Mm-hmm. So also non-Christians teaching in these schools about Christianity, aren't going to teach it accurately. And they're certainly not going to do justice to what the gospel really is. So I'm not sure that's a good idea. And as I was talking about this with him, he's like, oh, I never thought of that. So I don't think they actually imposed that in their school system, but uh, th- thank God. But yeah, that's one of the problems with it. And right off the bat, we need to make sure that what we're not doing is bashing
0: people who believe no. that 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 the proclamation that Jesus is Lord shouldn't be in the public schools. It's like no, like no, you and I are Christians. We believe that that is literally what the gospel is. It's proclaiming is a proclamation of something, right? Yeah. It's just it's you like it's a category. You can't impose something in a public institution. It's just it's just the way it works.
1: Yeah, and I would add as our definition of nationalism that typically. Nationalism, so it's just as a generic definition, especially in other nations, but it's also true in our nation too, has an ethnic uh, identity along with it. So, German nationalism is that the German nation is a state for the German people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And obviously, the Nazis were national socialists and mm-hmm. they said, okay, the Jewish people don't belong here and the Aryan race is the best. So, that was imposed. And Nazism is probably the epitome of nationalism gone wrong. So, Christian nationalism then is well, it's it's imposing the fact that well, this nation is for is for this set of people, and it's supposed to be the Christian people in particular. And all of a sudden, we'll go wait a second. That's how are we all of a sudden going to love our neighbors and going to be a and and to love our neighbors means also to um, value them for what they believe, even if we don't agree with what they believe. Mm-hmm. We value them as persons, and the fact that God made you in the image of God. And he gave you a brain and a mind to think and to reason and I value your opinion even if I don't agree with it. And I need to value the freedom that you have to have that opinion. So I think Christian Na runs a front uh, on that sense
0: Well and and that's where what we're talking about is kind of a it's a whole wheel of things. It's not just it's not just five or six things that you could do right but but ultimately it's that idea that says the true the true American is the true patriot is the one who is also Christian and supports these certain values. So right. to your point, you know, the Muslim who might serve in the armed forces, but, but is a, as a, you know, practicing Muslim, they're not going to be seen, you know, through this lens at as equal as maybe the, you know, the person who just grew up in a Protestant community, or even, I would say this, if you have a Muslim who, uh, you know, a dark skinned Muslim who served in the Marines and right next to him, you have a, mormon from the christian nationalistic view you're going to really view the mormon more as the true patriot over the muslim because from a nationalist perspective yeah yeah yeah, because okay well we know mormonism is you know not christian but they use they have the same values they vote the same way they talk about the same they talk about jesus even though it's a completely different jesus and so you're gonna you're you're even gonna give a preference towards that because there is that sense of you know looking at you know, people and dividing people and, and there's racial issues and there, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on there.
1: Yeah. So what we're saying now is that nationalism is a spectrum of beliefs, yes. That there's a, there's a number of different issues and you don't necessarily have to ascribe to all of them and you can be on the spectrum there. And some of it, of course, has racial implications. And then when it's combined with Christianity, it's it's a nation for certain people mm-hmm. and those certain people are the Christian people And typically what Christian nationalists do is they say, oh, and this country was founded by Christians for Christians. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole idea behind Christian nationalism. And the idea of exceptionalism usually involved in this as well, that uh, God has ordained us to be this nation and God has established us and he's blessed us. That's why we have this prosperity is because we have been ordained by God to establish this nation of America for Christians. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, hopefully, uh, succinctly, at least what Christian nationalism is.
0: Yeah. And I think we're going to flesh some of these out when we have yeah. David Crump on, because he talks about these a lot in his book, I Pledge Allegiance. Yeah, exactly. And so things like exceptionalism, uh, even some of the things that you're talking about in terms of establishing the nation. And uh, he he talks a lot about the idea of uh, this covenantal view, uh, even in the Puritans and in thinking of themselves as kind of this new covenantal people of God. This is a new Israel. So yeah. we'll talk about that a little bit with him. But yeah. so we've laid the the foundation for nationalism and Christian nationalism, and they're they're two different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a secular person could be nationalistic, but wouldn't be. I know plenty of people who are mm-hmm. nationalistic, but they're not Christian nationalists. Mm-hmm. But where does patriotism fall into to place here? How, how do you define patriotism, or how do you think about patriotism when it's not on a with a football team? <laughs> that's bad patriotism.
1: No, that's actually yeah, godly patriotism. I disagree, as a, as evidenced by the fact that they've been blessed by all the Super Bowl championships. They're because divinely ordained by God. Because Tom life. Brady made a pact with the devil. But yeah, anyway, okay. let's continue uh, gonna, on. i got to cut all that out. <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, patriotism is not the same as nationalism. Uh, maybe you, you might say that nationalism is taking patriotism patriotism to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea of, of rooting for your country in the Olympics or in the World Cup or whatever, or, or and maybe bring it home, you're going to root for your own local sports team. Mm-hmm. And then... Maybe uh, your own high school, when the kids are in high school, you wrote for your high school over the other city's high school and our, our high school is better. we got a better football team. We have better Mm -hmm. this or better that or better that. And so that's, that's fine. You're you're rooting for your family. You're rooting for your friends. You're rooting for your community. Mm -hmm. And then you could take that to a state level, right? We're going to root for our state college team over your state college team. And that's fine. We're rooting for our own people, our, our own group, clan, whatever it might be. So the same thing happens at a national event. You're going to root for the United States in the Olympics or you know, in the World Cup. I, I root for England because my family's from England or my dad's family's from Italy. I root for Italy and then I root for the US, but they never win unless it's the Women's mm-hmm. World Cup Yeah, they win yeah. all the time. Yeah, they're good. Um, so that's fine. Nationalism then takes that to another whole level, of course, that our nation is special elect. And it's for this group of people and not for those groups of people. We need to protect it. And
0: yeah. And, and patriotism isn't left merely patronism? to patriotism. How do I no, Patriotism is not just merely left to sports teams. It's, it could be saying, Hey, in the midst of a, a crisis, a pandemic, I'm, I, I'm proud of the fact that America was leading the charge in ways in, in certain things. One thing that I've appreciated about uh, CS Lewis, who obviously was doing a lot of his writing during the, you know, thirties and forties in the midst of world war two is he, he actually addressed the issue of patriotism uh, quite often mm. because there, you know, what do you do when your country's at war and if you're making headway and, and, and these sorts of things. And he writes it in a couple of places in, in, in his book, the four loves, he addresses issues of patriotism and, and he calls it like healthy patriotism versus unhealthy, I forget what he calls, you know, he, he sets them up as two different things. And I think what he means is nationalism, but that mm. wasn't really a, a concept. But his idea is like, no, patriotism is good. You know, yeah, you, I don't want a foreign country coming in and ruling my land. And, and he, he uses the illustration. He says, just like I wouldn't want someone coming into my house and, and taking it over and burning it down. It's like I love my house and I love the aspects of it, that creek, and it, it's my house. It, and I don't want someone to rule that. Just like I don't want someone to rule my country. But I never want to do anything at the to denigrate foreigners or you know, be aggressive towards other people. Like that's not patriotism. And and so even, even someone like that, who in the midst of a war where you're trying to rally your, your nation to fight against evil, he's like saying, Whoa, whoa, guys, we need We need to have a healthy look at what patriotism is. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't hate our country. It's not, it's not abandoning it. God put us here. Revelation seven. You have people from all tribes, tongues, and nations that means we're not all just this homogenous group, right? Like there's a distinction between them and, and you could identify people by nations. That's not the ultimate thing. Don't make good things, ultimate things.
1: Unless it's Jesus.
0: Unless it's Jesus. Yeah. Who, who is the <laughs> ultimate, ultimate thing. Like, right. You know, one of the things that I, I know that I was born you know, and grew up in, in cultures being taught is that America is a Christian nation, right? What do we do with that concept what are some things that maybe propagate that idea in the churches? Uh, I don't know. How do you approach that subject?
1: Yeah, this is where my own biblical studies came into the conversation. I became realizing wait a minute, as you just quoted, actually, Revelation seven, there's many other passages like it Christians are members of various nations around the world. And there are Christians in a nation, but not a Christian. There can never be such a thing as a Christian nation. Now, how come there, there are nations with Christians, okay. but not a nation that actually is a Christian nation? By definition, because Christians are members of the kingdom of God, and we have one king, and that's Jesus. In an Old Testament context, you can say, hey, this nation is sanctioned by God because its king gives, gives allegiance to God. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Yahweh is the Lord of Israel, and David is his king. But that's no longer the case for the church. The church now actually goes out into all nations, and we're in the nations, but we're not of the nations. And our kingdom is, of Christ, is the one in which Christ is the king. And Christ doesn't sanction one nation over any other nation because he sends the church out into all nations. So I think this is a serious problem. Okay. So
0: you have really, there's only one nation that's ever existed that we could say, this is, we wouldn't say a Christian nation, but a God's people nation. Correct. And then that would be the nation of Israel, which that there is a shelf life in that. that. That's not this eternal thing.
1: Yeah. But let's also distinguish this. It was never called to be a nationalistic entity in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It was always mm-hmm. actually meant to be a light to the nations. Genesis 12, three, that famous verse, of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he calls Abraham so that you may bless all the nations. Mm-hmm. So that the nations may, may be blessed. Israel was called to be a light unto the nations, Isaiah 42, six and Isaiah 49, six. That was their mission. That was their task. When Jesus comes in and says, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I'm doing what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And then he calls the church. You now be the light of the world. Hey, go do what you're supposed to do. So Israel was always supposed to have the nations come into it isaiah 2 verse 4 says the nations will flow to the mountain of the house of the lord what's actually this imagery of the nations coming as streams of water up the hill of jerusalem up the mm-hmm. mount of jerusalem right mount moriah and so it's this great imagery of the nations coming to israel and, and I, zechariah 1 and zechariah 2 says that he's going to go measure jerusalem it's like he can't because the city keeps expanding and its boundaries keeps keeps going farther and farther and farther that's this imagery of the nations coming into it so even israel was this divinely sanctioned nation, but it was never in a nationalistic sense. It was a nation only for them. And they actually got in trouble when they said, we're a nation only for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And even when we look at other passages, even something like the Psalms, like I, I think of a Psalm 2, which opens up, why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? It's like, the nations, I mean, that um, that includes America. America is raging against God. Right. <laughs> like right. like yeah. we're not the special thing. I'm not saying there isn't great things that have happened because of America. So right. let's go back to patriotism. We're not this covenantal people of God.
1: Yeah. And so for me, what happened was I grew up with that same worldview. I think that you're talking about the idea of, of America being God's chosen people and God's chosen race and God and a Christian nation and all that. And then I really began studying, of course, the book of Revelation in, de- in depth. And I began realizing, wait a minute, the beast of Revelation 13, which is a kingdom or kings, mm-hmm. it's Rome, but it's Rome embodying perhaps all nations throughout history. Mm-hmm. The beast in Revelation 13 is actually com- combination of the four beasts in Daniel 7. Mm-hmm. And Daniel 7 verse 17 says the four beasts are four kings. So you have one beast. That's the combination of all four beasts of Daniel 7, which are four kings. And you can say, okay, this one beast is just this really, really, really bad empire. It's it's all four of these empires combined into one. Or you can say, no, this one beast represents all the empires that that are in history, which I think the view that I would hold to. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I began realizing that, I thought, wait a minute, that means the US has to be included in that, that ultimately the beast is the empire and the United States is part of this empire. Now, it might be good. It might be great. It might've had Christian influence and it might not be as bad as other nations of the world, that's true. But I began to realize, hey, you know, we're all sinners and it's ruled by sinners. And all of a sudden you're realizing, hey, I think we need to step back and critique this. And then she started critiquing, i like, yeah, we didn't really treat the American Indians too well yeah, we do have that slavery issue. You know? mm-hmm. And you begin realizing, yeah, there are actually things that we critique. And by the way, that's what patriotism does. Mm-hmm. Patriotism says, I love my country and I critique it, mm-hmm. when it when it does wrong. Nationalism turns a blind eye to it and denies those things. I don't know if you heard, by the way, but just recently, uh, I think 11 states now and the state of Texas just did, uh, did one today that says the school curriculum can no longer say anything that gives people of a specific ethnicity makes them feel uneasy or um uncomfortable about american history which specifically meant we can't have anything about the about slavery and mm-hmm. racism because it might make white kids upset okay yeah it's like that's nationalism on steroids yeah yeah
0: so We're not going to go into a whole history lesson and and recapture what was happening with the founding of of America, whether it was with the Puritans or the uh, pilgrims, or even what the founding fathers were doing. One thing we can acknowledge that America is not a Christian nation, because like you said, nations cannot be Christian. Only people can be Christians. Right. Right. Now, that's not denying that these groups of people, especially we could look at something like the the founding fathers, they did function under a, a Christian if you want to call it worldview and an influence and nomenclature or something like that. So there's definitely that aspect of their life that is there where part of your normal life is something like having a church membership, attending or being part of a religious community. So those sorts of things are there. Like you can't, ign- you They're can't deny that, but well, in its entirety, way, we're not yeah. going to discuss that yeah. it's
1: there. It's certainly there with Christian ethics and values are, are, are and you could say that might be part of the reason why God blessed us, et cetera. But I think we just throw the word blessed around too much and too easily there too, because well, and I wasn't even, I wasn't yeah. even meaning
0: it for that. Yeah, no, I'm I know meaning
1: more of like, there, there's
0: an influence there much more. So you could say there's a religious influence of a culture way more, you know, 250 years ago than there would be maybe now uh, from, from a, you know, a Christian influence standpoint on the, on the average person. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, America's not a, it didn't have a Christian founding in terms of this isn't a true church. This isn't a, a nation church. However, there's a Christian nomenclature in, you know, verbiage that probably exists within much of the things I do. But even when you read something like the declaration of independence or the bill of rights, there's like two mentions of God in there. Nothing of Jesus, nothing of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. It's these generic mentions of creator God or something like that. Let's be generic. So it's not specifically Christian.
1: Yeah. And let me add one more note to the conversation of a Christian nation that- the church itself isn't set up only for the church. Paul himself says in first Corinthians 14, that if you guys are all speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, what mm-hmm. happens when an unbeliever walks in, right? That, that the recognition of the fact that there are unbelievers that walk into our churches. So if you were to say that there's supposed to be a nation that's supposed to be Christian, it still has to allow unbelievers in mm-hmm. that nation and mm-hmm. has to have a place for them too. But
0: so, so, so let's talk about this. And I know for me in, in my circles, it's very popular to see bumper stickers, license plate frames, T-shirts that will have an American flag on there. And in there, uh, second Chronicles 714, you know, mm-hmm. if, if my people who are called by my name, <laughs> you know, humble themselves and, you know, you see that on Facebook and posts, my face. yeah, sure we... away. then I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. So is that what American needs are? Right? I, I, I saw this multiple times this week on Facebook. What yeah. happens if we all do
1: that? That's not what the passage is about. A couple of years ago, I was pastoring in Bakersfield. And we have an association of pastors. The churches in Bakersfield actually fairly well unified. It's pretty nice and pretty good to see. And uh, during some of the racial issues and some of the racial unrest, and they said, Hey, we're going to get all the pastors together. We're going to march together and all the churches and and some of your own uh, individuals from your churches, we're going to march downtown. Here's our path. We're going to march together. We're going to get to the city hall. I think it was somewhere downtown or maybe in front of the police station. And that's where the black lives matter people were protesting and they knew that we were coming. So the Black Lives Matter people knew that we were coming and they, they were a little hostile for a little bit, but they allowed us there. And when we got there, then they had a program and I didn't know about the program. And so one person would get up and read a part of Isaiah 2nd 7, uh, Chronicles 7.14 and another person would read another part, another person would read another part. And then after they read each part, we prayed for this. We prayed for that to be actualized. The idea being that is if we do these things, 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal their land. The idea being, this is the, this is the remedy to racial unrest and this is the racial to healing our land. Well, the problem with that is that 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, of course, is talking about the Israelite people and the yeah. land, of course, the land of Israel, the land that God gave to the people of Israel. So that, that's your Old Testament context if you just start with that. And I know you've taught in this too and you can mm-hmm. add something here if you want in a minute. The fulfillment of that would then, of course, be, well, through the church, right? Through Jesus and the church. So my people now today are Christians, the church, Mm -hmm. the land. Well, Christians live in all lands. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you can't apply that to any one country. They live in most of the countries of the world. So there's no way to take the promise of second Corinthians 7, 14 and apply it to America. It's original context was the ancient Israel and ancient Israel, of course, now through the lens of Jesus and through the lens of the church, but the church fills all lands and the land is is where God's people dwell. Mm -hmm. And it's not in any nationalistic sense there you yeah. want to add something to that? No, I
0: mean, I, I mean, we could do a whole study on this, yeah. but, that, but that's the thing is, especially when you look at, you know, if you're trying to look for uh there's obviously an, an original meaning to the text yeah. and this all has to do with Solomon dedicating the temple and these sorts of things. If you're looking for a bridge to say, okay, what's the application here, which is like, you know, as Bible teachers, this is the thing that we do when we teach the old Testament, right? Well, right off the bat, if you're looking just for an application point insert things, like if my people well, we're not Israel, this is a covenantal thing. So, just insert the people of God. That's us today. If if we're called by who are called by my name, okay, that's Christians. Now we would say, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What are the wicked ways that the people of God need to repent of right now? And and what does that have to do with the actual things that this verse is oftentimes used to evoke in the public square? And so once you actually start parsing it out that way and saying, okay, what's actually am I praying for? I don't know what that means. So oftentimes this will be used for something like abortion. Well, are the people who are praying this prayer, are they actually the ones who are supporting abortion? Well, no. So, so this prayer actually wouldn't apply for something like that. If anything, pray that, you know, people who do support abortion, their hearts might be changed that God would convict them. So they might just have a change of heart. Like it's a completely, completely different prayer. And the point isn't just a, you don't want to make this a quid pro quo where let's change all this stuff so we could have this blessing. No, we want yeah. these changes to happen. So God's justice will reign exactly. and so that things will be the way they're supposed to be.
1: And notice that the blessing typically, by those who use Second Corinthians, Second Chronicle 7:14, the blessing is usually associated with some type of material prosperity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the Old Testament context, of course, land was the nature was necessary for your f- personal sustenance. Mm-hmm. So the two big things of the Old Testament story of, of course, are land and family. You have to have land. To provide for the well-being of your family, so whether you have crops in that land or whether you have you know, sheep or goats, whatever it might be, land is necessary for your sustenance. Then you have to have a family so that when you get too old, your family can then work for you and support you. That was your re- your retirement, your social security system. The idea of death in the ultimate context is to have either no land or no family. That that's death. That's the context there. Now, what in what sense then is the blessing in the New Testament context? Well, it's not material prosperity. Because our inheritance is in God's kingdom, You'll store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust are not destroyed. So that's the blessings that we're trying to attain are these eternal blessings and not physical material blessings in the here and now. So even the whole idea of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen is a radical misunderstanding of what blessing actually means and misappropriating it to material prosperity. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that we can say there as well because you know, the idea of a material prosperity obviously often comes at the expense of somebody else.
0: Yeah, and I even I had a conversation with a co-worker today and I said I originally thought Christian nationalism and my studying that was just a hobby horse thing and maybe I'm just you know harping on something, but I'm the more I study this, the more I'm convicted that. This, along with the prosperity gospel and prosperity theology, are the two things that are really wrecking the American church the most. And it's damaging our witness. It's uh, giving a false hope to people who think they're Christians when they're not. These are two of just huge things that just plague America right now. And unfortunately, it's influencing the rest of the world in, in ways as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. And let's contrast, for example, you know, and I think what we really want to get to now, in fact, is problem with nationalism and even christian nationalism is that as christians we're members of the kingdom of god first Mm -hmm. and foremost Mm -hmm. and the way i was would say it is that i'm a christian who lives in america i'm not an american christian Mm -hmm. right i'm a christian and my brother over there might be a christian who lives in russia or or lives in germany or nigeria whatever it might be but christians and and the way the kingdom of god works is that we die for the sake of the other that's the essence of the kingdom of god the kingdom of god was established by the death of christ and it continues to perpetuate itself through the death of God's people. Kingdom of God, if someone slaps you on the, other, on the cheek, you turn to him on the other cheek also. But nations, of course, no, if they slap you on the cheek, you slap them back. Mm-hmm. Because if they do that to you, then you better show them power back or they're just going to continue taking advantage of you. In the kingdom of God, Jesus is Lord. But in the nation, Caesar is Lord. Mm-hmm. And you begin to realize all, all these different values and virtues. And we can talk about prosperity and the nations, of course, power and prosperity, uh, material blessings are are central, whereas in the church, love and empathy and compassion and dying for the sake of the others and selling your possessions and giving them the poor. Yeah.
0: In in your book, uh, oh my gosh, why am I blanking the brothers? Uh, yeah, these brothers of mine. These brothers of mine, yeah. Uh, you make the point that the way, the mark of a Christian is how they treat one another, right? And, and this it pulls from uh, Jesus in Matthew 25. You know, David Crump makes this point in Pledge of Allegiance. You know, I pledge allegiance. We're even talking about military services. Can you actually be a Christian serving in the military? And you know, what happens if there's a, another Christian serving in another country's military and you're killing each other now, two brothers yeah, in the Kingdom of God? Question, yeah, and, and to, we'll, to, we'll say that as a little tease. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, we, we highly recommend uh, picking up his book. But this is a, a very serious thing where, where Christians need to take these things seriously and really develop a conscious, not just you know adopt what other people tell you is a Christian and worldview. But uh, along with this, there's been a, so much great work that's been coming out over the last couple of years on the subject. And there's, I don't want to say groundbreaking book, but probably the most popular sociological book is written by these two uh, sociologists, uh, Perry and Whitehead are the last names of the authors. Mm-hmm. The, the name of the book is Taking America Back for God. And, I don't and like they the do... title, by the way. I, I didn't either.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't like the title. Yeah, because I don't think that's really what they're doing. They're, no, it's, it's kind of a cynical title. Yes, sarcastic yes. title. Yes, very yeah.
0: much so. But great work, though. Great research, yeah. and these guys have the, the, you know you could you know look them up on you know the podcast app, yeah. whatever you have, and you are going to find a ton also, of interviews. Yeah. yeah, they've done a lot of interviews, so you could you could kind of hear some synopsis of of their findings. But their research really argues that there is a spectrum about Christian nationalism in the United States. Uh, what did you glean from that book?
1: Yeah, I was really relieved when I read that book, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you, because one of the things that I've seen a lot of is a lot of evangelical Christians that are really frustrated with evangelicalism Mm -hmm. and they've left evangelicalism. They feel like they've been abused by evangelicalism for a lot of reasons. And that might be something that we talk about another time. And I know some evangelicals might be listening to this, like going, what are you talking about? Listen, I know a lot of wounded people, a lot of them, and one of their parts of their woundedness is they see on the media, at least this association with uh, nationalism and far right political mm-hmm. agendas and evangelicalism and the idea that evangelicals are wed to this far right political nationalistic agenda. Yeah. And you know, 79% or 81% or whatever of evangelicals voted for Trump, that, that whole type of thing. And there's so many ev- Christians or post evangelicals that are frustrated and upset with that. And what these guys talked about was actually, yes it's true that most evangelicals are nationalists but they they talk about it on the spectrum right that there's hardcore and and then mm-hmm. totally anti and one of the things that they said was that the more godly a person was or the, the more committed they were spiritually to praying and to reading the bible and to going to church the less likely they were to be nationalistic and i thought oh there you, at least at least there's some semblance of hope there that that nationalism isn't necessarily wed to evangelicalism. Being an evangelical doesn't mean you have to be a nationalist. It's just most evangelicals are because they don't know better, but actually the more mature spiritually they are, the less likely they are to be nationalist. I thought that was very powerful.
0: And then ultimately what we see in, in, even in those findings uh, and just as you pull other things together is that Christian nationalism ultimately isn't about religious revival. It's not about the gospel per se. It's about having power and privilege over, over your society and, and re- retain that position of power. Yes. Holding yeah. on to it as a thing to be grasped, we could say.
1: That's right. And that's the nature of all nations, all nations. Mm-hmm. Y- y- you can have the best people in Congress, let's say for an Amer- American system, you have the best president in the world that who has a really Christian ideas. You can have all that in place. But the reality is that the, the nature of the political system is such that one of their first goals is actually to stay in power because let's just say you have a bunch of Christians or, or really good people and they're in power and they believe that them being in power is a really good thing for the sake of the nation. So because of that, they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they stay in power, and that those bad people that are trying to take their positions don't get in power. Mm-hmm. So power has this sense of saying, yeah, the first, my first goal is actually to maintain my position of power. Yet the gospel and the Christian life is Philippians 2, consider others better than yourselves. Follow the example of Jesus, who, being in very nature of God, did what? He humbled himself and became obedient to death. In other words, the Christian gospel is centered on love. That's the foundation of it. So one of the big differences then is that the gospel says that we lay down our lives for the sake of the other. I mean, the kingdom of God is predicated on love, and love is defined as the cross, right? Laying down your life for the sake of the other. So you see th- this fundamental conflict between the two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, this has been a great conversation, and we have a lot more to say. So we're going to pause it here, and we will pick it up next week for part two of this conversation, and we'll really get into some what uh, are some of the applicational stuff and and the practical things of how. Yeah, what does this mean for the exactly. church? So. It's cool. So, hey, everyone, make sure you're liking and subscribing, you know, get those notifications for when these podcasts come out. Don't just listen to them and and look for them, but like the program. And that really helps us out as well. uh,
1: We're going to send it to you. If you send this to 10 people (laughs) and Vinny and I will pray over it and it will bring healing to, I'm not sure, but somebody in another country.
0: It's sad because someone is probably making a TV. There's some televangelists right now making that appeal.
1: Yeah. And that's that's where I got it actually. Yeah. So I just gotta send it to you.
0: Exactly. All right, everyone. We will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinetruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next
1: time.